Hello, and welcome back to Following Noadon, a Stormlight podcast. This week is episode 35, and we are going through chapters 40 through 44 of Words of Radiance. We have five chapters to do this week, gentlemen. How are we? How are we feeling about these five chapters? Start with you, Elliot. How are you doing? A little exhausted. A lot of pages. A lot of reading for this one. But there's some good stuff packed in here, so I'm I'm actually really excited to talk about it. Yeah, we do have a decent amount to talk about this week. How about you, Paul? How are you feeling? Feeling good. Feeling good. You told us that this is going to be a little longer, and you. Were- you're not lying. It's a little longer. So hopefully uh, we don't have an hour and a half long episode. I think we'll I think we'll get through it in a timely manner. So I think I'm we'll be all right. it. Paul, do you have two words to summarize this episode? I do. Um well I actually just have one word. And I think it encompasses pretty well the the whole episode or what I focused on throughout this episode and that is the word advancement um, okay. it mostly had to deal with Shalon we've seen a whole lot of development with her character so far and the, obviously this is her book um, but as she goes her and Pattern honestly kind of keep developing growing learning more about their spell uh... light weaving Yes, I was going to say spell casting. That's not right. soul casting. <laughs> that soul casting. I knew spell casting was not it. Okay, they learn more about soul casting and and light weaving and all these things. And there's a lot of advancement there, um, as well as just like political advancement. I guess you could say. You know, she's kind of starting to settle into the camp area. She's kind of moving around with the different peoples there. So. What's happening? My my best summary of that was just advancement. So, gotcha. Uh, Elliot, do you have two words? My my two words for these chapters were espionage and facade. Okay, espionage, facade, and advancement. We only have one word for Paul this week. Let's discuss these. All right, Paul, you kept it short and sweet. What is to talk to me a little bit more about about advancement besides besides Shalom sure. and Pattern. I see. So where do I begin? So there's with with a lot of the stuff going on in these chapters. I so I feel like the how I would summarize this episode is it's almost like a middle of the book time where nothing that crazy is happening there, there's some like really good stuff but it wasn't like the jaw-dropping like yasna dies like something like that you know right um and so i felt like this was mostly just progressing the plot that we've kind of been looking for for a long time um that is a very general sense the most notable things is um probably like kaladin with dalinar and amaram uh, he's obviously very, I and mean, we've known he's super 
mad at Amaram, but right. uh, he's trying to, I guess, figure that situation out. Yeah. he's. I don't know. He's very specifically yeah. trying to keep Dalinar and Amaram separate in his mind. He's he's trying to convince, Kaladin's trying to convince himself that he, he can trust uh, Dalinar. And we'll we'll get to that more here in a little bit. Uh, Elliot, you want to talk to me a little bit more about your two words? Sure. So espionage. I, I went with espionage just because I think that Shalon in these chapters has gone full spy mode. Like she she is all the way in now, like undercover agent level of illusion and trickery and lies, as Pat would call it. Um, and then I picked facade for a couple of different reasons. Shalon is really starting to master this ability to create these illusions, these figure, these these images that she can make. And so she's creating quite a convincing facade with all this. She uses a facade to escape from the ghost blood that's that's chasing her after her meeting. But then also because of actually uh, the the two folks that uh, that Shalon has kind of taken up shop with uh, Sabariel and his uh, his mistress they too seem to be putting up a little bit of a facade they, they they seem to be kind of cranky and crusty on the outside but then when you actually kind of meet them they they're not so bad so I, I was a little surprised by that and was interested to kind of look past that uh, that bit of a facade there gotcha before we get too far we do have two spell checks this week we we met two different characters and we'll go ahead and uh talk about their names real quick they're fairly straightforward as far as both pronunciation and spelling so i will i will say that the first one is sabariel's mistress elliot how would you like to say her name this one's gotta be easy at least i'm hoping it is i i, I can't think of any other way to to say it than polona it's got to be Polona, right? Yeah, it is. It is. Sure, right. Okay, Polona. The only reason why I put her on here is just to make sure we're all on the same page with how <laughs> how to say these names. Uh, Paul, how would you like to spell Polona? So, if I were to spell Polona and not read the chapter title of the audiobook, I would say <laughs> P A L O N A. There you go, Polona. She is pretty straightforward. She is her Dazian, and her Dazians are not typically like yes, like Lopin. And her Dazians are not typically Vorin, so she does not have a palindromic name. She just has a, a kind of a straightforward classic name like we're used to. The second one is from chapter forty-three, I think, and. This is the name that the leader or the guy in charge of this ghost blood meeting gives to Shalon. May not be his actual name, but that's what he gives to to Shalon. Elliot, how would you like to say this name? This one's a little more tricky. I'm actually real curious to see if Paul can, can spell this one, but I'm gonna go with Marais. Marais? Okay. It's a pretty close. Yep, that is how they say it in the audiobook. Awesome. Paul, what do you got for spelling? So I went, whenever I heard this, I went with the most simple spelling I could because 
for a long time, I think I've overcomplicated the spellings because there have been very complicated spellings, but they've kind of toned down a little bit. So I just went with M-A-R-A-Z-E. Okay. I don't believe you're correct, but I don't have the spelling in front of me. Elliot, do you have it in front of you? I I do. It's a little funkier than that. It's not crazy. It actually reminds me a little bit of some of the Thalen names we've seen where they have like too many consonants kind of mushed together. Mm. The the spelling, at least what I have in my notes, is M-R-A-I-Z-E. So you were close. You just had a couple letters off there. I see. I really kind of, I almost did like my raise, like R-A-I-S-E, like mm-hmm. as a joke. Yeah. But this sounds just like that, but close enough. All right. With that out of the way, chapter 40 of Words of Radiance. Shalon is done talking with all of the high princes and all of the bright ladies of the Yelethi court. And she gets into this carriage with Sabariel to go back to his war camp to kind of set up shop. And she lets her, she lets her guard down. She lets her light weaving down or she runs out of stormlight, either one. And Sabariel instantly notices. Do you guys want to, do you guys want to pick this up? Either one of you? I, I was actually a little surprised when that opened up because I hadn't realized that she was light weaving or using her illumination powers in the in the court. It it totally makes sense. I mean, we've seen her do this before with the uh, deserters, right? Where she kind of took on the like, kind of enhanced her persona a little bit with her her powers so that she was more convincing. So it, I I couldn't quite it's like unintentionally or almost kind of subconsciously where she did this to make herself look like more regal and more yasna ish if you will yeah but sabariel you know like you said immediately notices hey you're a lot younger than i thought you were you know kind of what we're learning is classic sabariel bluntness in the carriage but yeah i I didn't realize she was doing that she does i I, go ahead paul i also didn't realize that she was soul casting herself in this situation i guess until after the fact um, I'm kind of surprised that I thought that was just me missing it, but um, I don't know. I yeah, I definitely didn't like figure that. And she, she was just kind of like you said, just kind of like enhancing herself. She wasn't like appearing as someone else or anything like that. Yeah, that comes later, um, right? Yeah, she doesn't do that till later. <laughs> yeah, true. So if you remember, bef- to last week, as she's walking into the or getting carried in a palanquin up to the the court. She's drawing a picture of herself in front of the high court as she like as she imagines them and then she's she doesn't realize it at the time but she's light weaving herself and enhancing herself in that image. And then as she comes out, she lets her guard down, stops feeding the stormlight. And then a couple chapters later, we kind of get it more fleshed out of Oh, if she if she draws this image of her with dark hair, and then feeds it stormlight, then it'll it'll enhance herself like that. Does that make sense? It it does, kind of and that's sorta. a point that's yeah, kind of a little bit interesting to me. Yeah, and she even like talks about it with pattern, right? She's 
she's asking him, why do I have to draw it to, to make it work? And he's, you know, responding back with, well, I don't know. That's, that seems to be a you thing. <laughs> so I totally forgot that she had drawn herself like that in front of the court, like a couple of days before this. And so that, that actually makes more, more sense now. I hadn't, because she just, she hadn't done it like immediately prior to, you know, room like she does later with the image that, that she puts on to go meet with the ghost blood. So I totally forgot about that. Actually, that's a good connection there. I also think this gives a lot more substance to So I know Elliot had talked previously about the notion of whatever Shalon draws kind of becomes reality or influences reality in some sense. And I think this gives that a lot more power because all the people she's drawn in the past, maybe she was making them heroic or at least seem heroic, um, whether or not they were because of her drawings, but it wasn't just because she drew them, but maybe she was still like light weaving them, you know, like using power, kind of like how Kaladin or I, I feel like all of our surge binder people can kind of do it by accident almost like sure. unintentionally. So that could very well be the case. This is kind of a, a minor detour, but I'll allow it here for a second. It, when she does this, it begs the question of who is the real Shallan, right? Is she this small, timid, 14-year-old girl that Sabariel sees? She's actually 17, but Sabariel thinks she's 14. And, or is she, with her Stormlight, this confident 21-year-old, 25-year-old, whatever, young, young woman who can handle herself in front of court? Which one? Which one is she? Which one's the real Shallan? Of does can her stormlight count towards her personality, if you if you will, or is she a a timid girl from the Yakoved countryside, like she said, like she sees in the mirror, instead of the the dark haired uh, woman that she draws. This is this is a big question for me about Shalon's storyline, at least in where we're almost halfway through this book now. So first half of this book is is she faking it or is she becoming it? And then the same question like for the people around her, is she lying to those around her, like Bluth and all those other people that she's, you know, imagined as a hero and then they kind of become one? Or does she help them to become that by, you know, creating that image? Of them that way that, that that's the big question for me about about shallan is is it is it lies or is it truth right, right. i mean that's how kind of pattern would would d break it down as and i i do think at the end of chapter 40 after the the espionage after the chase scene she gets away there's actually a quote that i think summarizes a little bit of kind of where she, now shallan thinks to herself after all that how like and, and enjoyable not enjoyable but like exciting that was she was she's not terrified she's like you know invigorated by the adrenaline rush of it all and she thinks to herself i'm not that girl anymore i haven't been for weeks now and i think the question you asked trevor is she the you know timid doesn't know anything girl from the countryside i think she was i think she started that way i think she's arrived if you will confident shallan 
I think she's at the point now where she's, she's learned how to, how to take that confidence and become this person who she's kind of for a little while. I, I think she's arrived. I think she's there. She definitely is the epitome of fake it till you make it. Exactly. Um, <laughs> she is fake it till you make it the character. And uh, I do agree that she's arrived at least for where she would need to be normally. If that makes sense. Like for example, like with interacting with Adolin, Dalinar, all of them, she has the confidence to do that now, which whenever we first met her, maybe she didn't or struggled a lot to do so. We, we do still see through all of this, that she still internally struggles with it. She can do it. Definitely. She's pretty good at it. Um, but she she doesn't enjoy it or like it really um for the most part. Um I feel like with her ultimately going and trying to infiltrate the ghost bloods though, I feel like that was the step past um her made it stage like that's kind of the next level like whoa like you're in super deep um right but yeah so i don't know if she's made it there yet i mean she kind of did but more or less i don't know if she's quite there but she has like made it in the normal sense of like our actual characters and stuff going on yeah yeah i agree We've we've talked we mentioned it briefly before this, but I just want to highlight again that she's picked up her her poise from Yasna, her her confidence from from Tin, and then her her caringness, I guess, from Helleran, her older brother, because she does genuinely care about these soldiers and the slaves that she's uh, picked up through this these caravans because. She makes sure she gets the writ of the writ of pardon from Dalinar, or I guess technically Elokar, and and she also knows how to present herself in in court like Yasna would. So she's picked up a lot of these, a lot of these other characters. It we're we're is off the the story here, so we'll have to go back eventually. But I actually I do think it's fascinating to watch Shalon develop as opposed, kind of compared and contrasted to. Kaladin actually because Shalon is like discovering who she is right she's she's learning from all these other people like you just mentioned Yasna Tin Helleran even even others and kind of taking bits and pieces from all of those people and like crafting her own personality and her own persona whereas like Kaladin Kaladin knows who he is Kaladin is very he has a very rock solid identity it's all a question of like what's he going to do with that where where's he going to go with the the person that he is, whereas she's trying to figure out who she is. She's trying to discover that and build that and like create that as she goes. So it's, it's two very different stories, which I think that's really well. Yeah. That's why words of radiance is favorite for some people. And the way of Kings is favorite for some people just depends on what you're looking for. Let's back up a little bit and talk about, Polona and and Sabariel because uh, Elliot, you mentioned this in your words that you brought up, but I do want to highlight Polona here because she genuinely cares for and takes care of Shalon right off the bat. 
this is very much a a mother a mother hen looking after her little chick type of type of vibe going on here it's kind of what i as i remember on my first read i thought this would be navani's role where shalon shows up to the shattered plains yasna's dead and shalon instantly becomes her her daughter if you would and navani takes care but that's not actually the case navani is ignoring shalon at this point and polona takes takes shalon under her wing and makes sure she has a place for all of her soldiers and her slaves and make sure they're paid and clothed and housed and stuff like that and what what are you guys' thoughts on polona we just met her in chapter uh chapter 40 what what are your thoughts I didn't quite think of it like that, but that's a great point. That is exactly how I pictured Navani to be coming into the Shattered Plains. I thought she was going to kind of take Shalon under her wing if she got the chance, which was not what happened. Um, but I thought, in all honesty, just reading through this for the first time, I kind of brushed over Polona. I didn't think too highly. I guess so. The, ti- the chapter is titled Polona. I was kind of excited for a new, like, super big character, cool character to be introduced. And Polona is cool, but, like, she wasn't that exciting, I guess. I, I kind of discounted her almost as comic relief. Sure. Almost. Yeah. Um, And stuff. So I guess I kind of didn't think too much about Polona. I thought it was a cool, funny dynamic. You know, they joked around a lot about... He makes money, she spends it, you know, all that stuff. But right, um, I didn't, I didn't think anything deep about Polana. I'm thinking now maybe I should have. I I didn't think anything too deep or in, insightful about her, but I I gotta say I was really surprised in this chapter. I came out of the the chapters before this with, with Shalon having just kind of off the cuff attached herself to Sabariel, thinking. Oh boy, this is not going to go well. I, I had this image of like Sabariel as the crotchety old, like perverted, gross old guy with the super way too young diva mistress who like is super and spends all his money and just like ruins the place. And Sabariel doesn't doesn't actually know what's going on, kind of thing. And that wasn't the case at all. Instead, it turns out that it's all a front, or maybe not all a front, but at least like a little bit of a front. Instead, he's kind of the the crotchety old guy who tries to be goofy and silly and grouchy, but as soon as you get to know him, you realize that it's all just kind of, he he's goofing off, really. And, and inside, he actually is rather kind. Like, they both take Shalon right under their wing and they they kind of you know say one thing and do the other and that it's you know they're they're kind of making fun of each other or themselves and and passing on and, and pretending like they don't care but you can tell immediately from their actions that the, and it all kind of came together for me at the end of fo- chapter 40 where polona is talking to shalon and she says you know i i'll i what i imagine her saying on the on the front she says oh honey you're not the first stray he's brought home. Some of us even end up staying. Like that sentence right there, like says so about the two of them, I think. Yeah, for sure. It doesn't actually say, oh, honey. I just, that seems like something Polona would say. 
Sabariel is definitely not Dalinar, and I actually think Sabariel is treating Shallan better than if than Dalinar would, because Dalinar would would set her up with like you know a, a nice room and stuff, but Dalinar is at war, and he expects everyone in his war camp to behave like he's at war. Sabariel doesn't think he's at war. Sabariel is running a business, and he is here to enjoy the finest wines, enjoy indoor plumbing with heated heated water, and he is taking full advantage of the economy state here on the the shattered plains. So, but I want to I want to point out like it's a, a subtle difference here. Like Sabariel is he is out for his own gain. But when you compare that to like the selfishness we've seen of Sadius, this is like wholesome selfish, if you will. Like yeah. his version of selfish is like, oh, I'm going to build an economy and create this, you know, sustainable system. Whereas Sadius is, you know, I'm going to stab my friend in the back to to get, you know, what I what I want. It's like they're both not necessarily like the standard of honor, like you said that that Dalinar might be, but Sabario's methods are way more admirable than you know someone like sadius sure sabario's kind of like neutral evil and sadius yeah. is kind of like chaotic evil <laughs> like building the entire it was kind of a smart move i was kind of impressed honestly when hearing about that i was like you know you have a point like they they're gonna need all this stuff they've been there for so long um but yeah it, i thought it was crazy because Shalon asks, like, get, like, in trouble or whatever for it. And he's like, yeah, we just pay the fees. Like, it's worth it. <laughs> so they just keep play- paying fees for not going on plateau runs and building their economy. So this whole ghost blood sequence between Chapter 42 and Chapter 43, we'll go back and do Kaladin here in a second. But... This took me by surprise, I remember, as a first-time as a first-time reader. I thought we were going to have a little bit more time to settle into the Shattered Plains, you know, maybe date Adolin for a little bit. No, she, w- she, she goes to bed at, like, I don't know, 4 o'clock in the afternoon, wakes up at midnight, and it's like, all right, we're going to a ghost blood meeting. I was like, oh, okay, I guess we're going to a ghost blood meeting. And she almost gets killed, like, a couple times, but it's fine, I guess. And what are, what were you guys' thoughts? She does a couple cool things with light weaving. She accidentally pays two hundred fifty dollars for a candy bar. <laughs> what were you guys' thoughts here? I I too was a little, little jarred, and that I thought we were going to build up to like the meeting with the ghost bloods. I thought that was something we were going to you know build some suspense and not get for. For a while, just like we thought Shalom was going to arrive at the Shattered Plains at the start of this book, and she's finally here now that we're halfway through the, the book. You know, I thought Ghost Buzz was going to be like the end of the book, but but no, you know, first night there, and boom, she, she's going to meet the Ghost Buzz. So I felt a little bit like I think Shalom was feeling in that scene of like, whoa, I, I don't know if I'm ready for this. Like, this is, whoa, a little too too fast. But she, she handled it pretty well, I thought. It was good. So my biggest question with this is I don't know how important the Ghostblood storyline is. I, I, I'm super intrigued by it. I'm interested, but honestly, I don't know if like. I feel like we just know the tip of the iceberg, 
and I don't know that I'm ready to like break up the whole iceberg yet. I feel like there's a lot on our plate. And so I don't know. I, I was honestly, I guess not super ready for it to be introduced now. Like, like Elliot said, I guess I thought it would be the end of the book. Yeah. Thing. Sure. I thought it was going to kind of like at the end of the book, she meets with the ghost buds or something like that. And it's this crazy like deal. It was definitely a crazy deal, but um, I don't. I feel like it threw a slight wrench in my mental pacing here for the for the book. Even though I really liked it, um, slight step back from that. I thought it was really cool with Shalon in the marketplace because it showed that she didn't know nearly as much as she thought. I, I feel like we've kind of been under the impression of this book that Shalon kind of has been masterminding things for the most part. She's really been on the ball, a step ahead of people. And here she kind of realized she doesn't know all that much or as much as she thought she would, or she wasn't as ready as she thought she would be. Um, and I feel like that was just kind of like a healthy moment. I don't know. <laughs> that sounds weird, but you know, I, I, I liked that it kind of humanized her again for a second. Nice reality Maybe. check for her. Even though, yeah, kind of, sort of. Yeah. It's it's giving her some good perspective, that's for sure. I, I noticed in the beginning of chapter 43 when she's first walking around in her dark eyes disguise, she, you know, expects people to part for her so she can walk through. And she, like, bumps into people because she's expecting them to move and they don't because she's just a regular dark eyes person. Like, her getting that the you know it, what it's like as a as a dark eyes to walk through a, a crowded streets i think is yeah probably probably really good for for shalon and something yeah she clearly had no idea and when she bought the uh the fruit on the stick for way too much money i i chuckled a little bit at one shalon way overpaying for money without realizing but it actually took me back to a memory of mine at a uh, baseball game in in nearby, not too far away. We have the city of Denver where the Colorado Rockies play. And I go there for a game every so often with my, my and, and I can enjoy watching some baseball. But what I don't enjoy is the ridiculous prices for like stuff like that, fruit on yeah. a stick. Like you can buy like a stick of strawberries for, for like $12. And it's like... That's absolutely ridiculous. Anyway, that's that's how mm -hmm. I felt paying that much. And it seems like Shalon had to pay quite a bit, even though she didn't have to for <laughs> strawberries on a stick. I thought it was funny on the, what do you call them? The, the seller's side. The person was like, I don't have change for this. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> what do, what do you want me to do with that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> And she immediately calls her citizen because she's clearly wealthy. And so that's a first or second yeah. uh, dawn of a dark eyes. So mm. she's like, I I don't have change for that. Sorry. <laughs> One thing I want to highlight before we move on from Shalon. Pattern is really good with words and like patterns he describes them as patterns and 
we kind of get it. We we're kind of understand what he's talking about. But Shalon's at, Shalon asks him, oh, can you see if anyone's following me? And, he's, and he says, well, yeah, of course. They're going to make a pattern as they walk. Like, wh- what, is that, what does that mean? Apparently, that's something pattern can catch on to. And then when she's doing the span read earlier, he's, he's pointing out this obvious pattern that he sees in the, in the words. And Shalon's, Shalon's like, I don't, I don't understand. And he keeps trying to explain it. So there's very specific and very niche things that pattern is good at. I I'm, I'm coming to almost view pattern at least the way he like sees things differently than, than Shalon as kind of like, he, he's almost like a computer code, if you will. It's like, there's certain things that are very easy for him to do because he can, you know, crunch the numbers or he can find the, the pattern hidden in stuff that, that are hard to see from a human perspective. But on the flip side, there are other things that he doesn't understand very well or that he can't grasp, you know, things like what emotions or jokes or things like that, that are obvious to Shalon, but pattern like struggles with them, you know, the way that humans can do some tasks way better than computers do, but computers do some thought process, I guess would be the best way to phrase it. It is funny because Shalon, one of my favorite moments, honestly, throughout this book, and I feel like it's happened a couple times. Shalon asks herself, like, how do I explain this to him? And it's like, yeah emotion or like touch smell something like that she's like how how do i explain this to someone who can't smell or anything like that and it's really true i, I think about that often i'm like what well, how would you describe that it's like tasting but with your nose i don't know <laughs> with your nose right. anyways I, I think that's like really funny but i i do really like the dynamic with pattern and chill on here because pattern sees the stuff like that that like humans can't or like it's just an entirely different perspective almost like so he's from the cognitive realm right that's the one isn't yeah it? there's like three realms yeah um physical cognitive and spiritual I, don't know. Mm-hmm. I guess you just have to be from the cognitive realm you know but yeah he he always sees the patterns that's basically the only reason shalon got her meeting with the ghost bloods is because he saw the pattern of the responses and things which she would have not picked up on but i thought that was i thought that was kind of cool i'm a big fan of patterns and puzzles and stuff so i i really like i really like our our sprint fella here bizarre kiddo it it sure is a good thing that it sure is a good thing that shalon has this bizarre kiddo with her because he's getting her out of trouble like a lot he catches that code right before you know she needs to be able to use it. He's able to see people when they're following her in the street. You know, potentially maybe try and rob her or who knows what. Shalana is pretty lucky to have have pattern out there. He's saving her bacon quite a bit. We've kind of danced around the topic, but I guess I'll just ask you guys: What are your thoughts on Marais and? this task that he's given her that they go back and forth. It's pretty, it's a pretty hostile environment. Shalon thinks she's about to die like any second. And, but eventually Marais gives her a task and it involves Amaram. What are your guys's, what are your guys's thoughts on, on the outcome of this, of this meeting and how it's going to go forward? 
I'm I'm really uncertain. I, I was not expecting Amaram to be a target of espionage here. Like he doesn't seem like the kind of guy who'd be hoarding bits of information or maybe he is that kind of guy. I, I guess we'll we'll find out. But yeah, for, for him to send Shalon on this mission to infiltrate Amram's house and find what he knows or find his information. This this could have some interesting interesting implications. So what I think most about Amram is actually how little we know. I, I feel like this is kind of a prediction, but I think we've been intentionally led to think we understand Amram, but we've never seen anything from his his perspective, really. Um, we've seen a lot of the major stuff he's done with Kaladin, obviously, so we don't like him. But we don't really know like how deep that goes, how deep his facade is. Um, so I'm guessing there's a, a whole lot more dirt with Amaram than we know right now. Um, I don't know. I I, I really can't. <laughs> I want to make a big prediction on how this Shalon infiltrating Amram is going to go. I want to make a big prediction, but I don't know where to start. <laughs> Can I, I feel like there's too many variables can i feed your uh feed your thought process there for a second yes please do all right i want to take you guys back to the way of kings and something i am sure you missed but it's pretty glaringly obvious for uh um the rereader this is chapter 51 for context this is the chapter where amaram betrays kaladin kaladin has already saved amaram from the shard bearer he's already killed him this is 51 of of the way of kings and Kaladin is in Amram's war camp and Amram is wa just walking in the door uh, and he's about to ask him, yeah, why did you save me? Amram was talking to one of his storm wardens, a middle-aged man with a square beard and robes of deep black. Why Thidakar would risk this? Amram was saying speaking in a soft voice. But who else would it be? The, the ghost bloods grow more bold. We'll need to find out who he was. Do we know anything about him? He was Vaden, Bright Lord, the Storm Warden said. Nobody I recognize, but I will investigate. I believe that's our first mention of ghost bloods. It's completely out of context at the time. And uh, it comes up later because Capsule has a ghost blood tattoo. And at the time, and then Shalon's like, oh, wait, my father had one of these too. And it, we, we understand that the ghost bloods are tied to uh, the Devar house and all that. So you're not supposed to pick that up on the first read through, but on a rereader's perspective, now that we know a little bit more about the ghost bloods, we know that this is not the first time that the ghost bloods have, have crossed with Amaram. So 
at this point, we know that the Ghostbloods are still after Amaram. So, any more thoughts here? I I definitely missed that reference the first time around, but I I did actually catch it when I was doing a little research for my Helloran theory that I shared a couple episodes ago. I think that 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 Vaden Shardbear they're talking about my my theory is that was Helloran. Um, so I, I remember reading reading that and that mention of Ghost Ghostbloods ties into that just because we we think that Helloran is involved with the the Ghostbloods point or at least. I'm pretty sure on that. So, yeah, going forward and how that affects Amram, yeah, I'm really unsure. I'm I'm not quite sure where Amram's going to fit in the whole puzzle as far as is he, like, was he with the Ghostbloods and he left? Or has he always been kind of a an opponent for them? How this is going to work? I'm, I'm also curious if Shalon's even going to be able to do it. Is she even going to be able to collect any information? Uh, we'll see. I do have faith in Shalon to infiltrate now, seeing as she... So it is different because with the Ghostbloods going over there, that is pretty guaranteed not around anyone that's else that's important to our story. Whenever you get around Amaram and all the, the High Princes and stuff, you know, whatever. If her Stormlight runs out and... Um or everyone goes nuts. But I do have faith in her to infiltrate, and that's my only prediction. That's kind of a lame prediction. I think that we'll find out more by Shalon infiltrating um, Amram. I think that's how we're going to find out why they want him so bad, <laughs> I guess you could say. Sure. But yeah, as of right now, I don't fully understand how Amram fits into it. As a major piece, as like the this is the target, you know, for now. I now something I did notice in this discussion about Amaram, the the lead guy, Marais, he tells Shalon to go infiltrate and get information, but he says specifically, do not harm Amaram. And I, I want to read the line actually where he says this. He says. Do not harm Amram, little knife, he warned. His life belongs to another. And I paused there on that last little bit, that his life belongs to another. That struck me as as interesting. And my immediate thought was Kaladin, right? I mean, Kaladin has a huge grudge against Amram. Does Mraze know about that somehow? Does he know that Kaladin is out to kill Amram and, and is, is he saying like don't kill Amram because that's Kaladin's right or or job you know Amram's life belongs to Kaladin sort of thing I, I could be reading too much into that and it's something different but that struck me as really interesting that is that actually just brought up a thought of that I kind of have so that was my initial thought too right like we know Kaladin is the one who who hates Amram. I'm going to guess that this is a double meaning. My, my, my thought here was, okay, we know Kaladin doesn't like him, but I can't see a realistic way that Amram, that Kaladin would be tied up with the ghost bloods. Um, I feel like we would have had some form of hint to that at some point. Right. By now. 
Um, so I don't think that's the case. I'm guessing there's someone else who has a big grudge against Sam Moran. It seems like there's a few people who don't like him, I would guess. So my guess yeah. is someone else, but that could just be a double meaning. Um, I'd have a hard time believing that our Murray's fella here has like watched Kaladin deeply and like wants to save Amram so Kaladin can get vengeance. I don't see that as something the Ghost Bloods would do. It just it does seem off of pretty crazy. Level. It, it does seem pretty crazy. This guy would have to, yeah, have some really, I don't know, crazy insight into yeah. Kaladin's life and, and even like his thoughts, right? To know that that Kaladin's like on the warpath to get revenge against Amram, which which doesn't really make sense. But at the same time, like. I don't know. This one little bit has me has me wondering if this guy maybe knows more than than we think he does. The more I think about this, the more my brain kind of starts churning on this though. Okay. So, I Uh-oh. don't think I was like how is he going to have someone around Kaladin to like know all this, right? But the only way it could be if someone who's in bridge 4 has had association with the ghost bloods or still kind of does maybe an old yeah. friend of Murray's, something like that. And someone who's like fairly close to Kaladin. And I was, and so I was just thinking like, who could it be? Who could it be? If that's the case, this is kind of, we're kind of going off on a tangent here, but I'm trying to remember back now, how much do we know about Teft's past? Because Teft is kind of always been this, I don't want to talk about my past. I don't want to talk about where I've been. He does open up in some points, um, but I don't think we know that much. And so I'm going to go ahead and just, while I'm on this tangent, I'm probably way off. I'm going to make this connection that Taft is somehow associated with the Ghost Bloods, and that was an intentional way for Kaladin. Maybe he's good friends with Raze and told him, my boy Kaladin wants Amram, you know? Or something like that. <laughs> yeah, I went zero to one hundred really quick in my mind. I I really like that train of thought. I really really like that train of thought. <laughs> it's we we have like absolutely nothing to base that on, but that <laughs> that is true. That almost that almost fits a little too well. <laughs> now I'm gonna have to look for that. Could Teft gonna, somehow gonna... have ties to the Ghost Bloods? Teft or someone else in the bridge crew. Yeah, Um, that was like my first guess, but we'll see. We'll see. That's all going off of the (laughs) yeah that that one sentence. (laughs) What if Raze knows about Kaladin? What if he knows about Kaladin (laughs) because Tef's a ghost blood? (laughs) Exactly. All right, that was my rabbit trail for the day. We can talk about Kaladin now. It's a good, it's a good transition. I would we love should. That was, that was good predictions, guys. I enjoyed that. So, we pick up with Kaladin in forty-one. <laughs> we pick up with Kaladin in forty-one, and it's him, Rock, Sigzil, and Lopin. And, well, that's that's like halfway through the chapter. The first first little bit of the chapter is Kaladin taking bridge 17 I believe with Sergeant Pitt down into the chasms to train them 
and he basically hands them over to Teft and set and tells Teft to drill them for like three hours or something in the in the chasms. And after after he hands them over to Teft, the four of them walk like walk a little bit further and then start testing some of Kaladin's abilities. And Kaladin starts it he's really frustrated. And Sill actually has an interesting conversation with him. And we can pick up here of Sill Sill's drilling him of about this question of why why what are you still searching for? What what are you working towards right now, Kaladin? And he immediately shoots back to keep my men safe. Because that's what it that was his answer the entire way of Kings. And then Sill challenges him on it and says, No, that's not true, because you you completed that. What are what is your next goal? And it's a little bit further down, and then they kind of backtrack to it. But Kaladin eventually says, I want to know if I can trust Dalinar. I want to know if there is one honorable light eyes on the entirety of Roshar. I, I want to know. And his his duality mind is battling with itself of, he's associated with Amram, therefore he must be evil. And I cannot trust him. And I'm just doing, I'm, I'm just protecting Dalinar because that's the job that freed me from being a, a bridge a bridgeman but uh, but sill sill has an interesting conversation with him and says no you don't actually believe that you do have hope that dalinar is for real did either of you want to chime in on this conversation between sill and sill and kaladin paul i know you love your sill moments i do and i feel like this is the first one we've had in a while um, I, feel, I feel like we've gone a while without real Sil moments. Um, and so this, I feel like, was kind of... I would basically sum this up as a little throwback to book one. Like, Kaladin is all upset, and Sil's like, stop it. Right. <laughs> Being irrational. <laughs> and um, and he's like, no, no, no. Don't don't go down this trail. You know, Dalinar's not a bad guy. You're just being dramatic right now, Kaladin. So, they, it it was a good Sil moment, but I I feel like it wasn't that good. Like it it wasn't like oh, this is one of my favorite Sil moments. Sure, now, you know. There there was one part of it that intrigued me a little bit because continuing on. Where you kind of left off, Trevor. She's she's pushing him. Sills pushing Kaladin to to kind of define. You know, what are you waiting for? Why why not become who you were meant to be, if you will? And it, it comes down to she, she's kind of dragging it out, dragging it out of him. And, and he finally says, "I I gotta know if honor is dead." And Sill immediately re- responds back with, "He is, but he lives on in men." And and I think finally I understand something that, that one of the characters in the book here does not. Like this goes completely over Kaladin's head, but the name of the Almighty is Honor. And so right. when he asks this question, you know, I need to know if Honor is dead. Well, Syl thinks to this, you know, God who he's dead. So she immediately just responds with, Well, he is. And and Kaladin just like doesn't even you know, understand that like that was the big reveal we got at the very you know last page of 
the way of Kings where we learned the almighty was, was dead there. But her comment in the second half of that is interesting too, though lives on in men and in me. I'm not quite sure what to, what to make from that or if that's even worth kind of reading into, but just her kind of, I don't know if it's a metaphor for it's literal of yeah. Honor is dead. the, The guy, but he lives on in you and me. Interesting thought. She is an honor spread. So, right. We get an interesting revelation, a level up, if you will, for, for Kaladin here. He's, basically jumping at a wall for quite quite some time and rock is making fun of him the entire time because rock is rock and sigsel and Sig- i don't remember what sigsel's talking about but they're discussing about the assassin of adolin deliberately fell to the the roof he wasn't stuck there like i've stuck you to the wall open he flew that way and then when we were done Zeth flew away. So Kaladin knows there's something here that he's not grasping yet. And then, uh, like, towards the end of this scene, Kaladin sees Shadesmar. And he doesn't, he doesn't name it, but he does give us enough explanation for us as a reader to understand exactly what he's looking at. And he sees Shadesmar, and then he flips down to be sideways and then he smacks his head against the wall and then he stands up on the wall so Kaladin has figured something out about his surge binding in that he can turn he can turn gravity if you will I'm I'm curious that it involved Shadesmark because I noticed that too the description that he gave of this like glimpse of this opposite world that he sees for a moment which yeah it does seem to be a description of shadesmar how does shadesmar play into this whole lashings thing like we haven't seen him have to go to shadesmar to do his other things that he does the way that like shallan has to go to shadesmar to do her soul casting so why why is shadesmar now involved as he tries to you know be on his side and and stick to the wall so i'm i'm a little confused at this point to be honest so my best guess on that, or what I've kind of been thinking of that, it, it looks like there's a correlation between if anything has to change, you have to go to shades more. Like the soul casting stick into fire, the boat into water, whatever, stuff like that. Uh, Shalon had to go to shades more, but whenever she does her like light weaving, like creating an illusion or something, as far as I remember... She hasn't had to do anything right, like right. that. And if Kaladin, if he's, I don't know, making a stormlight puddle on the ground or sticking something to something else, um, he's not like changing the things. But this, he's like altering gravity, at least for himself, or kind of changing the the laws of physics there almost. So that's not really. I feel like that's not significant. I don't know what that does. That's just how I've thought of it, I guess. Right. Um, I will say I I was a little 
I thought this was cool, but I was a little sad about it because I feel like now him and Cal or him and Zeth are like the same. They've got like the same powers. I thought Kaladin wasn't going to be able to do these, um, the gravity thing. You know, <laughs> I thought I thought that was going to be the difference. He couldn't do that, but maybe he could do something else that he was going to discover right. down the line. So I don't know what to make of it anymore. A little sad. <laughs> we did a segment a while ago where I asked you guys if the if you thought they were going to be in the same order, have the same powers. I don't remember where you guys landed, and one of you said that Seth was a Windrunner, but then we discovered shortly after that Kaladin was a Windrunner, and... Now we don't know if they're both wind runners. We don't know what's what's happening there because Zeth doesn't appear to have a spren, but he has like overwhelming stormlight abilities. So we don't we, we don't know what's happening. True. This the so we did get it confirmed right that all the orders have like a thing in common. Well, they don't all have a thing in common, but you share like a thing with your neighbor, then you have one different. So um. I'll just recap that for you. Yes, Yasna and Shalon had a conversation about this, that there's 10 orders and there's 10 surges and each order has two surges and they alternate as you go around the circle. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so I thought Kaladin and Zith just like shared one of those, but they both had their like different one. Uh, but now it looks like they share it. So I'm guessing if they're both Windrunners now. I was very staunch in my no, they're different orders. But unless there's something really fishy going on and there's some like, I don't know, Master of Ten Elements we haven't seen yet, um, I'd say they're the same order. Yeah, and I I think I've flip-flopped on this. I think I've gone back and forth a couple times on whether I think they're the same or, or different. And I, I don't know. I it seems like they share a lot of the same powers, but Sill seems very non-committal on this. I would have thought that if if Zeth was a Windrunner and had an honor spren, which seems like a requirement to be a Windrunner, Sill would see that honor spren as soon as they interacted. You know, as soon as their same room, you know, Sill's gonna look over and be like, Oh, honor spren, hi, how are you? You know. And she seems very like not willing to say one way or the other is Windrunner. And that makes me think that he's not, but they seem to have all the same powers. So then he would be, I, I don't know. I still can't decide. Well, and she's, yeah. she's very adamant the other direction. She's says specifically, he doesn't have a, uh, have an honor spread. Right. But they have the same powers. So what? What's the that? This is what I was thinking. So that was my main argument as to why they were in different orders was because I thought the Spren decided, or you know, I was like, mm -hmm. he has an honor Spren. He has one we probably haven't seen yet. He's this weird thing with his Oathstone. You know, who knows? Um. But I don't know. It's possible that the spren isn't what decides your order. I don't know how that would work, but 
mean, that's that's possible. I feel like we haven't. We don't we don't know enough about it. I get to prove that not true. That was poor wording. We, <laughs> I don't. That could be the case. It could be the case that you don't have to have the same sprint to be in the same order. But I don't know what determine what would determine it then. I, I kind of like the idea of Zeth being some sort of anomaly where like he has all the powers of a Windrunner, but not the honor spread to guide him in the you know proper uses of that. And then hence you have this this monster, if you will, who's wielding this incredible power, but doing terrible things with it because he doesn't have an honor spread to kind of step in and say, "Hey, that's not actually what honor is," and and you know stopping him. So I kind of like the idea of him being just like not fitting into the mold kind of thing, but I don't know if that's the case or not. This is kind of related. It's related in my mind, at least, because I see a bigger picture than you guys do, but I don't know how much attention you guys have been paying to the epigraphs in part three, but the epigraphs in part three are excerpts from Words of Radiance, the in the in-world novel Words of Radiance, and it's it's some pretty explicit details about the Knights Radiant. And it's unclear who the author is, unclear who the, the audience is, but, and Sh Shalon mentions somewhere in here that, oh, I need to get a copy of, of Words of Radiance because that was the last book that, Shalon, that Yasna wanted me to read before she died. And we're, this might be the first time that we are getting more information than the per than the the person is because back in the way of kings any excerpt from the way of kings Dalinar already knew right Kaladin Kaladin hasn't read the way of kings but Dalinar had he'd read it multiple times and so Shallan hasn't read Words of Radiance but we're getting a lot of excerpts from Words of Radiance and they're saying some out of context but some interesting tidbits about the Knights Radiant what are you guys what are you guys' thoughts on this I, I actually do have some thoughts on the epigraphs. I've taken a few notes on some of them. Some of them are a little more helpful than others. Some of them are, I feel like, are a little too out of context, whereas others have said some, some good stuff. But I'm actually waiting. I feel like I need a little more. I want to get to the end of part three here and then do kind of a look back on the, the epigraph this, through this section because there's been a few even that seem very related to each other where, you know, one epigraph didn't make a ton of sense until I got one, you know, three chapters later that seemed to to explain some of it. So I, I do have some thoughts, but I actually want to hold on to them a little bit for a little bit and see if we can get a few more of those that might help me because I do have a few theories, but they're still, my thoughts and notes are still a little too broken on them. I think I need, I need more. Sure. I also have noticed that they're more significant um, in The Way of Kings. I feel like you could almost just discount them. It's like, oh, this is yeah. probably something that'll mean something at some point, but it's not right now. Right. Um, and stuff. And in here, they have been way more poignant. I think that's how you say the word. Yep. Uh -huh. um, and yeah, so I have been paying attention. Not, I guess, super crazy. I still kind of discount them. Maybe that's a bad habit <laughs> and uh, and stuff. But they definitely have been, like, all of them are, like, this is a quote from Words of Radiance. And so I'm like, oh, that's important, you know. 
But just as a side note, I think it's really cool that we get excerpts from the in in world words of radiance and words of radiance. Is there any written copy of the in world book that you think Brandon Sanderson has? Not that we've been told. That would be kind of cool if he had his own like separate mini book that he just like didn't release. It was like actually words of radiance. You, you think cool. Trevor would tell you even if that did exist? He, as we've learned, he's the the master of of keeping <laughs> secrets. So, true. I sometimes I slip. Trevor. I sometimes slip, but you guys don't notice. Sometimes our comment section notices, but you guys don't notice. So it's, <laughs> it's fine. Shout out to our comment section, and they're way ahead of us. Good job, guys. We haven't even mentioned Renarin yet. Chapter forty, chapter chapter forty one ends ends with Renarin trying to join Bridge Four. You guys want to talk about this? I do, I do. I really liked this. I feel like this is so. So I like Renarin, and we, we've we've had nothing against Renarin. We just he's just been a minor character up until recently. He's started having more time uh, in the spotlight, I guess. But this is really the, one of the first big dialogue moments with him. And I thought it was really cool. He kind of comes to Kaladin, I guess, in a vulnerable state. or he, he really wants to be a part of Bridge 4. He's seen Bridge 4. He wants to be a soldier. He wants to step up and kind of make this jump after, you know, lots of thinking and time. I forgot what they call it, but he always freezes, right? Right. Um, in battle, and he wants to just be treated like a soldier, not like some high-up, light-eyes person. Um, and Kaladin is not for it at first, at least internally, um, but kind of lets him join Bridge 4. I thought it was, it was really cool. Um, I'm really excited about this, because... I want to see where this is going to go and how Renarin is going to develop because out of our characters, I feel like he has the most like heart or at least one of the most. He's got a lot of, you know, willingness to, to grow and learn and things like that. So yeah, I had, I still have faith in him to become either a good soldier, have some other major role. Um, so I, I'm really excited about this because I feel like it kind of sets the stage for that possibility. If you guys remember when I got my poster behind me, I said there was a plus one that was a spoiler. It's Renarin. Renarin's on the poster. So, oh, really? There you go. I was thinking it was something else. I have been looking at your poster periodically, I will be honest. <laughs> I I too am excited about Renar and joining Bridge Four. This was another like surprise. There were a lot of surprises in these chapters where I didn't really see. I did not see this coming. This was a a surprising move for Renarin, but I I'm excited about that. I I think it may help to, or at least I'm hoping it may help to kind of bridge the gap between Dark Eyes and and Light Eyes. You know, we know that Kaladin has it out for Light Eyes. We know that Moash hates Light Eyes as well. Maybe if if Renarin can kind of show them that not all light eyes are terrible people, that this could this could go a long way, maybe for for helping heal some of those relationships. Speaking of Moash, uh, chapter forty four. It's a it's another duel or a training training ground scene. 
and Zyle's there, Renarin's there, Adolin's there. Shallan shows up to catch Adolin's attention, but she doesn't admit to that. Um, she's she's there to sketch the the shard blades conveniently while Adolin is there. And Kaladin and Moash have an interesting altercation at the end of this uh, at the end of this chapter. But do you guys want to talk about the uh, this chapter first? So I thought it was really cool. One, so this is like the start of Kaladin beginning his training with shard blades, right? Or how to fight shard blades. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Zyle kind of lets them like play with one, which I thought was kind of cool. I would have loved to, to try out a shard blade, you know? Um, Kaladin being Kaladin kind of, he abstains entirely from using the shard blade himself. He wants to learn how to fight a shard bearer, but he refuses to pick up a shard blade, uh, which I feel like this goes back to Kaladin being a little stubborn and hard headed. Sure. Obviously I understand his motives and stuff. I just think it's it's almost a little too far. I don't know. I'm curious as to what Elliot's thoughts are on this. I feel like this was... Kaladin can kind of get a little too far gone on himself on, you know, whether that's being, like, upset about something, you know, stuff like that. And I don't know if this is one of those moments or if it's kind of a good, you know, integrity move or not. I guess it's not that major. Um I, I thought about this a little bit, and yeah, I can't really decide one way or the other because it, my first thought is is kind of like what you're saying, Paul. It seems a little silly that he's not willing to to hold a shard blade. It, it seems like a grand, big picture. If they're to refound the Knights Radiant and and Calum becomes like the founding member of the Windrunners, you'd think he'd want a shard blade at that point. But on the flip side of that, Sill has this really strange aversion to shard blades which doesn't seem to make sense to me because it seems like uh, we don't know this for sure maybe but that the the wind runners of old would have wielded shard blades and so why does why does sill so against them why does she not like them so much and so maybe maybe he is making the right decision by not embracing shard blades sill definitely appreciates that decision so i i don't know also just a side note here Pattern has never mentioned, at least in a negative light like Sil does, Shallan's blade. Shallan uh, has a shard blade, and Pattern's never been like, oh, I hate shard blades like Sil does. So. He even kind of pressures her to use it, or did at one point uh, on the boat. He's like, sword, yeah, sword. Yeah. And I was really ready for it then, but yeah. It is interesting. I've never thought about that. Because Sil does really hate shard blades. I I do think though this training for not just Kaladin but the rest of these guys is probably going to be super valuable. I mean, Zeth has has run off for the time being, but I gotta believe he's coming back. And so for them to be ready for another showdown with Zeth, I think is really prudent. That's that's absolutely what they need to be working on is is how to fight how to fight a shard bear. Something that Zyle mentions, or, may, or maybe Teft mentions it, I don't remember, 
is that half of the intimidation of a shard blade is or half of the usefulness of a shard blade is the intimidation at the beginning where you summon it and all of the the common dark eyes who have never seen a shard blade before gape at it for too long and then they're dead so Zyle Zyle gives it to Moash and says all right wave this around for a bit and get used to it because you're going to see a lot more of these And then, kind of out of the blue, Shalon shows up on the the training grounds, and we get some interesting, interesting conversations with with Shalon there and Adolin. They're kind of flirting, I I guess, sort of, but whatever. She's there to sketch the the shard blades and the the shard plates and all that. But the part that actually drew my most the most of my attention was. Kaladin's like reaction to her is still really negative. And, and I think we we understand why, right? He hasn't had the best, you know, interactions with her so far. She's lied to him about being a, a horn eater princess. She's stolen his boots and she's had a uh, insult contest with him outside the, the, the high court. Um, but he goes so far as to categorize her alongside people like Sadius and Roshone. Yeah. Like this is, this is, big you know he he that light eyes she, she's not necessarily evil she just she just doesn't care about any dark eyes you know just like just like people like sadius and roshon and i read that oh like that's pretty he does not like shalon if that's yeah. the kind of company he's putting her in it's true if she ever wants to make amends that's going to be a long process oh yeah <laughs> oh yeah yeah kaladin definitely after the first few interactions just like all right lump her in with the rest of the light eyes i don't like so <laughs> they're all they're all the same it's um, a it's him. a point in the it's a point in the no love triangle uh <laughs> box yes kaladin is not interested true but there's still a lot. There's a lot. There's a lot of time we have. So. <laughs> there are a lot I of changes. That could easily change. I'm not rooting for either side, by the way. But just saying, it does not cross it off. Sure. But back to Moash, we then learn we learn some very interesting bits about his past. We. I was a little shocked that this conversation that he has with Kaladin happens like in the middle of the training ground. There, yep. There's a lot of rather sensitive stuff they they talk about here because they talk about how Moash believes that Elokar is directly responsible for the murder of his family. And because of that, he's helping someone try to assassinate him. Yep. Like, what? First off, that's crazy. And... Did not see that coming. Two, they're going to talk about this in the middle of the training grounds where anybody could overhear them. Like, are they stupid? The head of the head of Dalinar's bodyguard is talking about assassinating Elokar right? out in the open. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Interesting revelation there with uh, with. Moash there and some rather dark intentions there. I, I, he was on the suspect list, right? I definitely had him on there as, you know, potentially involved, but I, wow, th this is still, 
a big step for him to, you know, even just full up and he is actively trying to get Elokar assassinated while being on Elokar's personal guard. You know, this is wow. And some incriminating information if I've ever seen it. Yeah. And just the fact now that Kaladin knows about this and then doesn't tell anyone could get Kaladin in trouble, right? Like, it's literally number one under jobs for Kaladin is keep the king safe. And if he's, if his second and third in command or whatever Moash is, is actively trying to kill Elokar, then, and you didn't tell anybody, what, what's up with that? It, it definitely tells you how highly Kaladin values his bridge four group. Like right. his, he's willing to not turn in Moash, even though Moash straight up admitted to him that he's working with other people to get Elokar assassinated. You know, Kaladin says straight to him, I'm not going to turn you in, but we're going to talk about this. You know, we're, we're going to handle this. We're going to figure this out. But he does, you're right. He doesn't turn him in, which you'd think would be the number one responsibility of the head of Dalinar and Elokar's guard. So, yeah, interesting conflicts of interest for Kaladin. I think it's still possible that he would turn Moesh in. Um, but he's at least he's at least just waiting a second. Like, hold on. <laughs> Wait, are you serious about this? I don't know. Right. All this stuff kind of feeling it out. Which, that is a dangerous game when you're talking about assassinating someone. Like, oh, we'll just wait and see how this plays out, you know? <laughs> um, but, yeah. All right, we've run a bit long, but any closing thoughts on this episode 35? Nothing too big for me. This is there's some really good... Really good stuff in here. Things are things are moving. As I mentioned a couple times, a few a few surprises coming along, and it's it's definitely not. These chapters have not been boring in any way. It seems like they're definitely keeping us on our toes, keeping us you know trying to figure out what's going to happen. So, things it, it this book is not stalled in the middle by any means. It is, if anything, picking up and picking up rather quickly. There's I agree. There's minimal character development, as there was in the first two two parts with Yasna and Tin and all that. It's more plot, 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 plot. So, lots of lots of events happening, and let's keep reading and reconvene next week. See where it goes from here. Thanks for joining me. Let's do it, Elliot and Paul. Of course, you got it. <laughs>